So what you have in front of you is an apple pie. Okay. Thank you. But it is made without apples. Seems like it's probably not an apple pie then. It is mock apple pie made with Ritz crackers. Which is disgusting. <laughs> but does it not smell like apple pie? It does indeed. It also looks apple pie. Enough. Yes. You have the layers. Exactly. And there's that kind of, I don't know, the textural element that I would assume of an apple pie. Okay. Are you ready? You're going to try it? Okay. Here it goes. <laughs> um, not bad at all. <laughs> Surprisingly apple There we go. I think that's the cinnamon and lemon that's in there providing... Some apple like <laughs> Yes. How do you make an apple flavor? You make cinnamon and lemon. Just that's, cinnamon and lemon. That's, that's the it. flavor of apples. Crackers. Didn't you know? Wow. And and why? Oh, well, because today the theme of our podcast is pie. So you made a fake pie. I mean, technically it's a real pie. We will get into this later. I have a whole segment on mock apple pie. Yes. All right, welcome to Pantry Staples, everybody. Where we dish on your favorite foods. <laughs> I'm Marika. And I'm Emily. All right, should we get into it? Yes, ma'am. Emily, what is a pie? Okay, so a pie is a controversial food, as it turns out. <laughs> okay. We have a quote here. I may not be able to define pie, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> and I feel like that's... That's really what we're going to try and work out here, in the beginning at least. So, to determine a concrete definition of pie with firm rules and exclusions would be impossible as the dish has changed so much over time and over locale. Okay. So, some basic guidelines that we're going to use to define a pie for today's episode is mm -hmm. a dish that has pastry on one side, either as a base or a top, okay. and contains... I think that word is very crucial here containment either meat vegetables or fruit mostly this dish would be baked though there are some examples of frying that we can include um for the extent of this podcast shepherd's pie moon pies that sort of thing will all be excluded right so we're dealing with an item that has pastry and a filling exactly right those sorts of things, you know, shepherd's pie, they don't possess the ability to be held in hand and eaten as if one kind of hand witch. <laughs> um, and they also lack the pastry crust, as you said. So this still leaves many of the characteristics of pie undefined. Does the pastry have butter or lard or oil? Mm -hmm. Does the filling have to be entirely covered or will the sides suffice? A top crust or a bottom crust? Mm. Trey controversial. <laughs> Indeed. So by examining the different examples and trends of pie throughout time and locale, we'll see that many of these questions are answered, sort of. Great. Um, so the first examples of pie, again, during the Egyptian Neolithic period, so we're looking at around 6,000 BCE, we see the probable creation of pie. I mean... No, I would say the full, the, the full creation, the of, full creation of pie. Great. It's not probable. We're doing it. We're going to confirm. <laughs> yes. Um, so this is when the domestication of animals and the invention of stone tools began. So the first pie was a mixture of oats, wheat, rye, and barley filled with honey cooked over hot coals. So that's to say that it was just the grains, the starches that they had on hand with a filling and then cooked. These were called galettes. Oh, we still have galettes. Do we? Yeah. What's, okay, this is me being very ignorant. I clearly no. do no research. <laughs> Sorry, I read a lot of Bon Appetit. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's the French word. I mean, 
It's a French kind of it's like pastry. Tart. It's like a tart. Yeah. It's like a very rustic pie. Well, I guess, yeah, that's exactly what this is. Yeah. They clearly do their Egypt homework. <laughs> um, so anyways, moving a little bit forward in time to around 1304 to 1237 BCE during the reign of King Ramses II in Egypt, or Pharaoh Ramses, I suppose, um, oh. we see, yeah, we don't want you know. <laughs> westernize his title sorry um in the valley of the kings on some of the tomb walls we actually see um drawings of bakers and of these galettes so clearly these were pretty central to the diet and how adorable that they're just putting pies on the walls i love it pie in the sky pie Pie in the wall um anyways during this time fruit and nuts were also incorporated into these dishes so from here when we have the greeks coming over and interacting slash you know, murdering and pillaging the Egyptians, um, the Greeks fuckers. Um, then we see them develop these galettes further. They're now going to be using a flour and water based pie pastry. So very much it's getting closer to what we would traditionally assume as opposed to just a shit mix. Right. Things. Yeah. Um, so this is being done to wrap around meat, to seal in the juices, and it worked as a vessel to cook it in. So we surmise that someone saw the similarity of dough and clay and then fired the dough. And when they noted that the meat they were cooking over the open fire was starting to burn and dry out because all the juices were just spattering on the flames. Yeah. They thought, hmm, maybe we wrap it in this dough and see what happens. And turns out it was a great idea. Yeah. So then you have the Romans fighting the Greeks. Of course. Our favorite, the Romans. Are, are we loving We're them? pro-Roman! Okay, this is a pro-Roman podcast, everyone. It is indeed. <laughs> so when they fought and conquered the Greeks, they took their pie recipe and adapted it further. It was then called Libum. Libum? I don't know. Anyways, Cato the Elder, who was around 234 to 149 BCE, wrote in his treaty De Agricultura, which is on agriculture, mm-hmm. about his love of pie, and he included a recipe for one called Placenta. Truly horrifying for me to hear in today's day. Um, It is closer to a cheesecake, but it's still a filling on a pastry, so it is within our definition of what a pie is. Right. So the Romans used a variety of fillings. This is when we're starting to see meats and, you know, more traditional toppings as opposed to just honey and that sort of thing. It's more substantial as a meal. And and sort of separated as a filling that's not sort of an extension of the crust because those yes. sort of first ones almost sound more like granola bars exactly with mixed nuts and honey right. yeah so it would definitely be more separate filling to pie right so egyptians are using a lot of things like very whatever meat is on hand they're using fish oysters lampreys everybody is obsessed with eels in their pie shell it's very interesting <laughs> i am intrigued um lots of birds obviously mm. so fun fact about the romans is when they had their games in the Colosseums, they would have their beast hunts so what they would do is they would go to whatever foreign locale or because the romans weren't just in rome they were all over the place so maybe it wasn't foreign because that's where they were and <laughs> they would catch like whatever animal was there they would bring them to the beast hunts then whoever was hunting this beast would kill it and then afterwards they would have a big banquet where they would eat the animal because they waste not and want not. All right. We're pro-Roman. We're very pro-Roman. Um, they even hunted a bunch of animals to extinction, which is not great for them. Mm. But also, I mean, they didn't know any better. Or did they? They did. They did. They did. Um, anything. So one thing that wasn't mentioned in the Butter Podcast uh, 
but is also true today with pie and with butter is that the advent of Roman roads was so incredibly important to the spread of these dishes. If you don't have a reliable means of getting to a next town, how is like any kind of dish or food or just idea in general going to really spread with ease? So this really allowed all of these things, but pie and butter specifically, to get big and popular in other places. And I can also imagine if you're going on those long journeys along, just walking on roads, you're going to need something that's portable, which exactly by this definition of meat wrapped in pastry, it's a lot easier to carry and yeah, definitely eat while walking, I guess. Exactly. And I guess by that kind of definition, warfare itself is also extremely helpful to this. So thank you for being warmongers, Roman. Again, very pro-Roman on this podcast. So it used to be that everything cooked in ovens that wasn't bread was kind of a pie, simply because the meat needed to be kept from burning and it would be tastier, as we said. So the pie shell was also really useful because it allowed preservation of the ingredients. There's less oxygen getting on them, so these things would stay fresher longer without refrigeration. Um, and as we said, it's transportable. The handwich. It's the greatest word ever. <laughs> All right, so then we get to the medieval period, where we see if the chemistry side of this going on where wheat is the best starch to be used to make pie crust because it has a high level of gluten. And then if you mix it with a fat like lard, shortening, butter, are shortening and lard different? This is actually something I should have looked up, but anyways. Um, I think lard is a shortening, but not all shortenings are lard. Like shortening, because there's vegetable shortening. Yes, like it's different like kinds. Lard is specifically Pig beef. I could look it up, but mm. I'm not going to. No. Anyways, so the lard slash butter wraps around the wheat, so it keeps the gluten from being released too much, so then you're getting the correct texture for your pastry. Uh, so then it's going to be nice and, like, not too stiff, but also not too thin, I guess. Right. Makes it flaky, but also substantial. Yes. Um, where we're seeing wheat being grown is also the same kind of areas where we're seeing butter being produced, which is in Northern Europe. So that is a real hotspot for pie creation. Just the sort of beginning of pastoralism and farming. Exactly. And, yes. And then we're seeing kind of different things being done in the Mediterranean area because they have such an abundance of olive oil. So that's where like phyllo pastry is more popular. So that sort of a dish right. is going to be more prominent. Um, anyways, so... Pie at this time was often called bake meta or coffin. So the term coffin actually originally referred to like a basket or a container of sorts, as opposed to somewhere to put a dead body. Oh, it's just a catch-all container. It's just a catch-all <laughs> container. Um, somebody also thought that maybe the kind of connection between those two was that they knew that what was in the container was dead. So a pie has dead filling, oh. mostly. <laughs> um, or a coffin has a dead filling. Horrifying. Indeed. So at this time, we're also seeing a real thickening of the crust. It's no longer just um, a quick thing on the exterior. We're seeing this as used as a dish, really. So it's mm. inches thick. Oh, wow. Uh, and so it's very, like, very, very sturdy. So it's like a pot. Pretty almost. much. Yeah. Like an edible-ish pot. Mm -hmm. Although traditionally, you do not eat the crust of a pie at this time period. Oh. Although that really negates... The realities of the world there were definitely poor people who were eating these crusts yeah um middle ages if, people are very hungry they're very hungry they're not going to turn down some shitty bread or pastry i suppose yeah. um 
Beyond a food source for beggars and scullery boys, we see the crust being used to thicken stews almost as though it were a roux. Around 15th century CE, a manuscript for fresh lamprey bacon. Baking is spelled B-A-K-Y-N, mm. just as a fun... We bake it! We bake it. Um, suggests that after the filling is eaten, the juices should be boiled with wine, sugar, and spices, and then you refill the crust to create a new dish called Soapies in Galantine. Delicious. Yes, the classic dish <laughs> of my childhood. What, you didn't grow up on that? You know, every Sunday. Yes. Um, the fillings at this time were very much still meat and birds that were on hand. However, they were spiced and sweetened in whatever way they could. So pepper, currants, dates, that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, around 13th century CE, we have a recipe for tortoise. Oh my god, I just said that wrong. Tortoise. <laughs> or mullet pie in an anonymous Andalusian cookbook. This recipe calls for boiled tortoise, and then you have, like, a spiced egg mixture that you're doing with saffron, pepper, cinnamon, onions, and cilantro, which I didn't realize we were all so keen on in the 13th century. But anyways, um, oh, the egg yeah. mixture goes over top of the tortoise, and then that's served and baked in a pie shell. Sounds delicious. It doesn't, but... <laughs> you know what I just learned the other day? What? The tortoises, or, like, turtles, don't come out of their shells completely. They're attached. No, they're not, like, cartoons. If they come out, they're just, like, nude. I thought it was, like, Franklin the whole time. No, and they, then when everybody was getting really upset about tortoise soup, I was, or uh, turtle shell soup or whatever it is. Just tur- yeah, turtle soup. Turtle soup. I was like, it's fine. You just use the shells. It's it's not the shells, so it's literal. It's turtles. the turtles. Anyways, a lot of misinformation <laughs> on turtles out there. Not what we're going to cover, but anyways. Um, so pies were super, super prominent in the diet at this point, especially in the upper classes. We see that bakers and cooks are getting super creative with what they're doing. Around 14th century CE, subtleties are being created to, uh, I guess, to fill the time between different courses at elaborate banquets. So these subtleties could be something like a gesture or a musician of some sort. But it could also be pie. <laughs> so you would have these enormous, ornate, sculptural pies that were not necessarily meant to be eaten, but were technically made of edible things. Uh-huh. We see some really interesting ones being done. So during the reign of Charles V, so that's around 1520 to 1530, a pie was created that held a captive girl who was supposed to represent the capture of churches in the Middle East. And 24 musicians. So there is 25 people in a pie. Uh, the mind simply reels. I, they just pop the shell off. I have so many questions. <laughs> it's very, very strange. Okay, and do we know for sure that that's true? No, they're not. It's not just like we know nothing. Metaphor, is true right? Okay, but but I think it is true. It's fun to believe that it's true. But, I mean, you see, like, the incredible, like, Guinness World record size like, pizzas and stuff that they make these days. Who's right, to say that you can't make a crust that big then? But this is a time when people are completely illiterate and... The monks aren't illiterate. But monks, they don't know how to bake. Maybe they do. Well, okay, that's an interesting idea, too, though, because we see all of these recipes being written down. And who is reading them if it's not these the cooks, right? So there uh-huh. is... A certain amount, or some, like, an article that I read actually commented on these recipes saying they don't add a lot of detail because it would be assumed that the person using this recipe would already be a pretty expert cook at this point. Right. So that implies, I think, a professional level of, like, 
excellence at it, I guess. Yeah. So then maybe they are. I don't know. I wasn't in the Middle Ages. They no. sound terrible. Not good. Um. Anyways, now we also have the popular rhyme uh, that has the bit, sing a song of sixpence, four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. Which is not just about pie as a rhyme, but it is still known today. And this would have been done in reality. People stuffed live birds in pies. They actually have a whole um, book. It's Epilario, which is written in 1598. And it details the process of how to put live birds into a pie and then serve it so that they come out. So you basically stuff something in there so that it holds the space so that it's hollow at the end. Yeah. Take it out when it's finished baking. Like, individually stuff birds inside of it and then wheel this pie out and then lift the lid. And there you go. Now you got birds everywhere. It's sounds like a very bad messy. idea. I'm just now imagining all of the bird poo in this pie on everyone. I'm just, I keep thinking to myself, how would they have had, like, a dramatic release where all the birds fly at once? If I were that bird, I would be fucking ramming my head against that pie shell trying to get out at the entire time. It wouldn't have been a surprise that there were birds in it, which I think is the element that people must have enjoyed. I don't know. That seems weird. But it did happen. There's so much written on it that it can't have not happened. Um, so then they would also, oftentimes, if you were eating, say, a partridge pie, there would be a partridge on top. At King Henry VII's coronation uh, feast, they had a partridge and peacock pie that had a huge peacock on top of it to tell you what the contents were. So we're seeing just people being you know, a little clever with how they... They're having just fun. fun. They're, They're having, having fun. All right. We also see an apple pie recipe written down here in an English cookbook from 1545 called A Proper New Book of Cookery. Um, this apple pie sounds horrible. <laughs> it has a bit of a gelatinous element to it somehow and also was so hard you could roll a wagon over it. So not great. Why? Just... Just... Because they could? They could. I okay. don't know. Poorly executed pie. But you know what? Who are we to judge? We just ate an apple pie with no apples in it. This is true. This is true. And it was delicious. <laughs> Big props to Marika for cooking. So my absolute favorite one is in 1624. We have a dwarf named Jeffrey Hudson being served in a pie. He was seven years old at the time and dressed in a full suit of armor when he popped out of a pie in front okay. of Queen Her Henrietta Maria. They actually went on to be, I want to say friends, but that seems issuing a lot more agency to him than I feel like he would have been given. Mm. Okay, well, I mean, this whole time I was just concerned that he was the meal. So at least... <laughs> no, he's alive in this. Okay. Whew. They thought, you know what? Bird's too messy. Let's get a dwarf. Let's just put a small child. <sighs> Anyways, uh. um, fun fact though, he went on to be captured by pirates twice and then was enslaved uh, for about 25 years in Africa. So he had quite a life. Most of it doesn't sound great. No, the pie thing was probably the highlight, which is <laughs> shocking. Oh no. Um, so from there, we are seeing around the 1600s, obviously people are going to North America. We see them taking these recipes with them. So the first settlers made a lot of pie either as mains or sides for their meals and they're predominantly using fowl and venison. Uh, they're also using dried fruit, cinnamon and peppers, nutmeg, that sort of thing to season the meat. Uh, so they are very flavorful still. And then as America is explored more, as we're moving further from the East Coast, we're seeing more and more regional foods being used in these pies, specifically berries. We actually have uh, 
notes that in 1796, a cookbook lists three different kinds of sweet pies. By the 1800s, eight different kinds of sweet pies. And by 1947, the Modern Encyclopedia of Cooking lists 65 varieties of sweet pies. So people, you know, they're having fun with it. They're yeah. learning new things. They're just putting whatever they want into New it. ingredients. Exactly. New world. Yeah. All right. A whole new world. <laughs> a whole new pie. <laughs> Um, so that's to say this was a very specific look at a very like Western type of pie. Right. Yes. That's not to say that there aren't pies in other places. Mm-hmm. So we have an, uh, a lot of these ingredients from, you know, places that aren't traditional. When you're making an apple pie, a lot of those ingredients do not grow indigenous in America. Yes. Uh, so there's that to acknowledge. We see these pies in other countries not looking the same, but they are still uh, filling the same criteria. Filling? Oh, no. (laughs) The same criteria as pastry with a filling. We have pastelitos de guayaba from Argentina. I think I said that wrong. I'm sorry. And Uruguay, which is a sweet fried pie with membrillo, which is quince filling. So again, we can't even just say that pies are baked. There are some that are fried. Yeah. The importance here, again, pastry around filling. Exactly. We have pie de limon from Mexico with a lime cream and rice. The note says lemon, but we had a conversation earlier about how... Lemons. I don't think they have lemons in Mexico. They just have limes. I could be completely wrong. This might be like the time when I was absolutely positive that Kanye West was a Rhodes Scholar. He is not. I he love that <laughs> so much for you. Um, okay. Moving from there, we have the curry puff, which is from Brunei, Malaysia, Indonesia, Singapore, Thailand, India. Uh, a variety of places have a similar dish, which is filled with curry, chicken, potatoes, in a pastry shell of sorts. Okay. Then we have torta della nonna from Italy, which is a sweet crust with lemon and vanilla custard topped with pine nuts and sugar, and sounds delish. Yeah, that one's good. We have xiaobing from China, which is a meat pie in dough pan-fried. We have pierogi, not pierogies, from Russia, which is a yeast bun filled with anything, basically, and coated in egg. So that's the first example of these that have yeast in it, because predominantly we're looking at pastry that does not use yeast to rise exclusively, like the butter and the yeah, of reaction. Yeah, yeah. So there is that. We have Bridie Pie in Scotland, which is named for Margaret Bridie and was popular at weddings in 1850s, uh, and that uses short crust, pa- short crust pastry filled with steak, butter, and beef suet. Suet. Thank you. Uh, and cut with two vents if it had onions. So again, we're seeing people do decorative elements to differentiate the fillings, which is neat. Babodi pie from South Africa, which is from the mid-17th century, and it has Dutch, Indian, and Malaysian roots. It's made with milk-soaked bread covered in milk and egg. So again, bread as opposed to pastry, but it is so much an attempt at a recreation of what we would see in those other locations brought yeah, in there. Right, because pies already existed and we've, that's South Africa at that time, such a mix of different cultures coming to it. Like the Dutch probably had a pie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then lastly, we have shifa from the Middle East, which is ground beef, olive oil, plain yogurt, tahini, allspice, onions, tomatoes, and pine nuts on a pastry. And yeah. it sounds delicious. And obviously there's a thousand more pies than that, but those are just some examples of what the other non- you know, English and Americans are doing with pie. Yeah, sounds great. So for my more modern history of pies, specifically in North America, I didn't really go for a linear historical approach and went sort of like more thematic. Yeah. Because A, I find that more interesting 
and B, like pies didn't really change in terms of their form from that. Yeah, the original basic structure is pretty similar until, well, you'll talk about that, but it's basically. And it's just, you know, pilgrims brought them over from countries. North America is a colonial nation of immigrants, so we've got everyone's different pies. I'm going to start by talking about pie-making machinery, which, again, good old Scientific American did not let me down with an article (laughs) from 1905. And it's about this pie-making machine in a bakery in Philadelphia, which was apparently able to turn out about 16 to 18 pies a minute, which is bonkers. Yeah, especially for like 1905. Uh, The article was so dramatic. It's just (laughs) the hyperbole is fabulous. Uh, So for example, quote, despite the inroads of machinery on the crafts, the pie artisan has stood alone, untouched by modern inventiveness. Now comes this pie making machine to standardize the pie and destroy its individuality. I, <laughs> I just, I feel like this is the perfect direct use of pie as a metaphor for Americanness. And I think like we just see time and time again that pies are just this quintessential emblem of Americana. And it seems like even in 1905, they felt the same way. That's just, it's a real symbol for like the morality of the time period. Yeah. And the idea of like libertarian, we are making something with our hands and it's unique and special, just like us, but no machines are making them, (laughs) which also to this, like, how many pies could it make a minute now? Because I still feel like that number is extremely high. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the article did get into the mechanics of how it worked. And mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's pretty cool. Especially in 1905, like pretty, you making fillings and plopping it in and like, bumping um, down your dough. The assembly <laughs> line. God bless. Yes. Okay. So as we were talking about, pies themselves are, of course, not... A North American or American invention. Uh, but actually the pie pans that we use today are, they are much shallower than the original Europeans, kind of the ones that you're talking about, which are more like, uh, like a, a pot, container. a container. Yeah. yeah. With higher sides. So you have lots of filling. Mm-hmm. The uh, American ones used starting in sort of like frontier times are a lot shallower. And that allows the people of that time to sort of make their ingredients last longer. You're stretching your ingredients because if you've got shallower space over a, like a flatter surface, you can cut smaller slices and it lasts longer. Makes sense. So that is American. And now we've got to talk about the, the famous phrase as American as apple pie, which was first uttered in 1921 by American opera singer, Alice Gentle. She actually, use the phrase very kind of offhand. It was part of a longer sentence involving many other foods. (laughs) And she was talking about American opera, but it's a good alliterative phrase and it caught on. I love that it was originally talking about opera because I feel like all the people who use the phrase like in modern times as American as apple pie would not be like, I don't know, opera doesn't really seem to fit with that. No, it's crazy. But it's a super fun phrase and I'm glad it, you know, took off. Yeah, definitely. So apples are not indigenous to North America at all. 
They were, we were talking, I think they're it's, from North, uh, South Southeast Asia, Asia, Southeast Asia, I believe. Yes. Yes. That's maybe a topic for a different time. Apples are very interesting. There's also a total side note here, but there's somebody, and I think Washington, Perry was telling me about, he just, I think he won the lottery or he, maybe he was just very wealthy, but he decided that he was going to bring back all kinds of indigenous apple varieties, Ooh. which is such a fun project. Yeah. So, more heirloom. Exactly. More foods. heirloom foods always. All right, so apple pie recipes existed in America and everywhere for years. You had one. Years and years. They came over from England, and then there were recipes that were very much established at the beginning of frontier times. Yeah. So people were always eating them, but in 1881 was the date that there was the first published recipe for American apple pie. That's the title, and it's the full. And apparently Queen Victoria was very specific in that she liked the American style of apple pie. Ooh, I, I saucy wench. Yes, of course. <laughs> so in the mid-19th century, apple pie seems to actually be more of like a breakfast food people were interested in. There's lots of articles writing about specific authors like Mark Twain liked apple pie for breakfast. Frankly, who wouldn't want an apple pie for breakfast? As I was coming here today, I thought about getting us those little mini apple pies from McDonald's. Oh, we'll get to those. We will <laughs> get to those. <laughs> so yeah, so the thing about the phrase American as apple pie is that it definitely indicates this sense of traditional values of what America wants to be seen as. So it's optimistic. There's wholesomeness. It's a very, it's a loaded, it's a very loaded phrase, which yes, but it definitely relates back to the pie making machine article. And so like you understand the author's horror at the idea of the mechanization destroying the pie's individuality. It's, it is a, yeah. It's the fall of America. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so apple pie is constantly being co-opted for political uses. There's an article in Science News from October of 1977 that's talking about um, anti-nuclear, nuclear, Nuclear. Nuclear proliferation. Oh, no. Uh, So the quote is, at this time, a vote against anti-proliferation legislation really comes down to a vote against apple pie and the American way. So there he's using... Yeah. (laughs) It's a lot. But it's, it's invoking apple pie as this, we are wholesome and good, therefore we should be against nukes. Which, yes... Great. Probably should be. Thanks for that. If you're into nukes, does that mean that you're anti-American? The Americans literally invented... Anyway. Anyway. The other very loaded apple pie phrase is motherhood and apple pie, which is an idiom that identifies things, motherhood and apple pie, that we are meant to assume are inarguably good. It's very loaded. Um, It's sort of an older phrase. It's we can identify these sentiments now with terms like soccer mom and Mm -hmm. family values but we see so that's sort of around the 50s 60s is the term like that but even before that in the 19th century louisa may alcott she has a scene in little men which is a book that i didn't know existed about baking an apple pie and it seems intent on reinforcing in the reader the value of patience and the virtue of domesticity it's written in very quaint Sort of like, oh, isn't it nice? The men are outside playing sports and here are the women inside rolling out pastry and patiently making pies. So there's that side of the apple pie, which is sort of where the motherhood and apple pie 
reference wants us to go. But then you can also have the flip side where the image of the dutiful housewife baking pies can be invoked by the opponents of this really like whitewashed American ideal. Uh, in 1920, after successfully campaigning for women's suffrage, Carrie Chapman Catt predicted that, quote, in 20 years, the woman who could bake an apple pie would be as extinct as the dodo bird. Well, we are here in 2020 <laughs> to tell you Marika made an apple pie with no apples. Yes. And it was great. Yes. Me, just your regular old Betty Crocker. So yeah, so she was wrong, <laughs> sadly, <laughs> but also not sadly because pies are good. They are. So we're seeing there with the two kind of sides of apple pies being seen as a good thing, as you should stay at home, bake pies for your children, your husband, for the nation, or (laughs) you should not. So we get into apple pie optimism and apple pie pessimism. And it's pretty easy to see where this dark side goes. I mean, they're the site of the original sin, which we could go down a firm rabbit hole with. It's so interesting, too, because I, for the longest time, thought, oh, they probably didn't actually have apples. They probably actually didn't have apples, like, in that region. But now learning that they're from Southeast Asia, I feel like it would be quite easy for them to get, like, the trade route. I don't know. It's close enough, in my mind, but it makes it better. I also think that I've read something where it's actually, that's, like, a weird translation. It's actually not an apple. Yeah, it's something else. Pomegranates make sense, too, because then you have the pomegranate in the myth of Hades and Persephone. Sorry, continue. (laughs) One day there will be an episode about apples, probably, maybe. Um, Yeah, so there's lots of examples of, in the 20th century, writers kind of invoking this, like, a rejection of apple pie as a signal of the American dream gone wrong. So it's, like, there's a bunch of short stories where... If a character like walks away from the table and hasn't finished his apple pie, you know that soon he's going to go down a wrong path. <laughs> or, yeah, it's like, and that is why I ate two pieces of the non-apple yes, pie. two whole pieces. I am on the right path. <laughs> yeah, so you see this super comforting food being used to show comfortlessness. So it's if there's a character who's trying to be a good housewife but is like not, and she makes like bad apple pie. It's just, it's a really effective symbol because everyone knows what it's supposed to mean. AKA goodness, the American dream ideal. Like that's a very, very easy shorthand to use in stories. Yes. What a neat tool. Yeah. There's lots of representations and examples of pies in popular culture that show kind of these two sides. It's like there's the classic cartoon I don't even know where it came from. And I tried to look it up online, but there, it was, I don't know, the internet seems to have wiped them all. Maybe this is a Berenstein Bears Mandela theory. But the <gasps> I one, love that, sorry. <laughs> but the the image of pie Pies on a windowsill. Window. Yeah, you've got the pie cooling on the windowsill. It's got the little smell lines, lifting some hobo by the nose. <laughs> like everybody can picture that if you yeah, say Yeah, it's such a clear, but I don't know if anyone has ever seen a pie on a windowsill in real life. I know I haven't, but I also live in a city but still i'm trying to think about it why would i ever put a pie there to like cool it quicker yeah no i have no patience i just eat it hot yeah i want it i like warm that's the point yeah. but there's that so then you see tons of representations of this obviously animated cartoons but also like norman rockwell he has a famous painting of a hobo running away with a pie with like a dog nipping at his heels. It's so saccharine. It's the worst of Norman Rockwell, in my humble opinion. I agree. 
It's interesting, though, that, like, those, the smell lines are very much, like, almost seductive in a sense, mm. and then it really gets into that whole, like, element of, like, purity within yeah. that. Yeah, like, it's kind of a weird, maybe, like, Freudian, <laughs> like, yeah. mom's making pie, mm, it's so delicious, I, we're not gonna go there, but, yeah, all over the Saturday evening post, it's this pure Americana Women with, like, buns, like, grandmas making pies, Thanksgiving. Okay, another example that has both the sort of positive and negative connotations is in diners. Mm. So I immediately am thinking of Twin Peaks, where... I haven't seen it. Oh, well, I don't know if you'd like it. But anyway, the diner is very important. Mm. And there's constantly, like, cherry pie. Mm. Kyle McLaughlin's character is like, oh, it's the best cherry pie I've ever had. And there, it's like that sticky, sweet. Oh, I want that now. Yeah, it's delicious. But there is kind of that twisted repulsion, especially in Twin Peaks, where it's like, are we, is this good? <laughs> and like pies and specifically like diner pies as this site of nourishment for people traveling across the country. You're getting into the heartland. It's. Jack Kerouac, who I just can't even can't. mention without eye rolls, but hit in On the Road, his main character, Sal Paradise, is all walking through looking for pies. And as he gets closer and closer to the middle of America, it's like, the pies are bigger, they're better. It's I can't even talk about that book without just like immediately visualizing a bunch of first year university boys <laughs> telling me that it's their favorite book. Yeah. So yes, it's a lot. And that's, I don't even know how to feel about that one. Like, is he being kind of not sarcastic but is it a sort of problematized look at pies as they're getting into Mm. this heartland and it's like this food of the masses and it's good for you as a sort of opposition to like all of the drugs and like transientness or is it not I don't know I don't know I suppose if you're thinking of truck stops and like the truck stop diners as a very like kind of I don't know sketchy place with like sort of sketchy people mm. and then you see some like nice kind of like busty old lady serving you a piece of pie like that's that's real striking yeah but I also think that maybe the idea of truck tops truck stops as seedy is sort of a more recent invention Mm. like I think it's also like it's a place where everyone like all groups of people meet and you eat and come together and it's sort of like the first stop in on town and that's Hmm. I don't know I think it's very complicated and I don't think that we have time within the scope of this podcast or truck top (laughs) podcast not the number one truck top podcast (laughs) (laughs) we should look for that though (laughs) Uh, very niche Uh, so then of course we have to talk about American Pie the classic film franchise which I just saw the first one yesterday for the first time Oof! did it it hold up? not good no No, it did not hold up but Eugene Levy is a national treasure as is Alison Hannigan yeah like both of them they're from different nations but yes doesn't matter (laughs) the only two nations no just kidding that's not at all what I mean, but just excellent, excellent humans. And then it, I have to say though, like having that apple pie, like the real close-ups on it right before he sticks his dick in it. I was like, oh, that pie looks so nice. Like look at that lattice with that little like sugar crumble crust. Yeah. Like, that looks so good. And then afterwards it's just sitting there broken. It's like such an obvious assault on wholesomeness. 
which I guess, I don't even know if at the time, I mean, I'm sure that they knew what they were doing, but it's also like very, it's shocking. It's shocking. I was stressed watching that. (laughs) Yeah. Highly do not recommend. Oh, but interestingly enough in there, there's the whole commentary about like, you know, it feels like warm apple pie, but the immediate comment after that in it is homemade or McDonald's, which I thought was fabulous. Yes. All right. We will again get to the McDonald's pie, but first, so just generally after talking about all of that, yes, there's the two sides of apple pie, but in both of them, it's a very specific conceptualization of as American as apple pie and the mother who bakes it. It's the specifically waspy middle-class American identity. It's only the June Cleaver style of pleasant, attentive blandness. It is not the overbearing Italian Catholic Jewish mother, which I'm saying in full scare quotes, these are stereotypes. It is like an ideal that is fully incongruous with all of the multitudes of African-American mothering stereotypes. Mm -hmm. So like the mammy character or like the idea of the neglectful like welfare mother. None of that is involved in this. It's very much, those are all the difference. That's what isn't as American as apple pie, which is not great. So as a contrast to that, let's go for a little bit of a deep dive on sweet potato pie. Have you ever had that? Um, I have, and I don't love it. I do prefer pumpkin pie. I haven't had it, but I would like to try it. I feel anytime I've had it, which has maybe been very few, it's a little sweeter than my, and like with the marshmallow tops, I don't. Have you ever had just like the sweet potatoes with marshmallows? Yeah, I hate it. I haven't had it, but I love marshmallows. Yeah, no. It's so much. Personally, not for me. Fair. Also, like there's a mushy, there's kind of like a stringiness to sweet potatoes that I don't. That would, I think, be the only problem I have with it. Yes. Mm. So that's my personal caveat. I would also like to just give a shout out to Shamika Rhymes post or article, I guess, on Shondaland.com, which is in defense of pumpkin pie. And she's just like, hey, P.S., not all African-Americans like sweet potato pie. Some of us like pumpkin. I was like, cool. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate that. Some some diversity in the pie community. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, so this was a very quick dive of mine the last minute before we recorded. So it's also sweet potatoes and like the soul food Bracket. movement. Just I, soul food in general is a very large topic that I am not at all versed on. We are Canadians doing this podcast, so American history is... We're not equipped. Not something that I know a ton about, but... The sort of general thing is sweet potatoes gained popularity in Europe and America during the slave trade, which brought, you know, lots of different goods and foods and products, but also people, which is a thing. Yams and black eyed peas were pretty typical foods fed to slaves during this journey because yams are, or not, they're not native. They were brought over in the 16th century to West Africa. But, but they grew their like hotcakes. They cakes. grew their like hotcakes and it was a food that they have. That very have. tragic quote that I had got. Yes. It was like somebody saying, or a quote about a slave being brought over on the ships, how they would just throw yams into the like crowd of people. Yeah. And there wouldn't be enough for everybody. And if you got one, great. And then you would get to land and you wouldn't be strong enough to stand. So a very troubling origin. Yeah. I mean, as all of this, it's really problematic but 
Yams and sweet potatoes, by the way, are very different food. They're completely different tubers. Yams are the tropical, like lighter skinned, lighter fleshed ones. And sweet potatoes are the darker orangey ones that are here. I feel like that's fake. Isn't it the other way? That is what I read multiple times. I feel like this has actually been a real issue in my life is that I don't know which one is a yam and which one's a sweet. No, potato. nobody does because nobody they're used does. interchangeably, but they're very different. Yams are like very starchy and very, like very sweet mm-hmm. as well. And actually not as good for you as sweet potatoes. Because sweet potatoes have like, like any like brightly colored foods are better for you. Yeah. The only reason I'm pretty confident in this is because this is sweet potato pie, which is always orange. Duh. We should go to the grocery store after this and look. Okay. <laughs> also, those, like, Japanese yams are really good. The, like, purple Purple ones? ones? Oh, yeah, those are very mm, good. Delicious. Very starchy. Very. Sweet potatoes were close enough to the yams of West Africa that for the slaves that had been brought over here, it was kind of a, still a comforting food and sort of like a reminder of home, although also potentially a reminder of the slave ships. But this is a thing that I read. On a website. As you can tell, all of this really well sourced. <laughs> a lot of this research is from blackamericaweb.com and also Southern Kitchen. I did not mean to, you know, doubt your sourcing. I know I'm doubting there. my sourcing. I don't know. I'm just... Here's the thing. <laughs> it's hard. There's unfortunately, like, not a ton of research that I could find from actual academic sources about, like, sweet potatoes and sweet potato pie. It's, like, a lot of conjecture yeah or just like very personal accounts which is great but it's not as helpful for the history anyway so obviously people who were enslaved didn't have access to fancy pie making equipment so the sort of they made something called a sweet potato pound which is just like roasted sweet potatoes that were then mashed and mixed with spices Mm. so that doesn't again really fit into our pie there was they didn't really have a pastry although later then after abolition times and then maybe depending on certain people who are given better things they did start to put the mash into pie shells Mm, delish yeah so after slavery was abolished many african-americans fled to the not like fled to the north to kind of get away from the even though you could never get away from it because it's hell. so after leaving the south sweet potato pie became again an reminder of this sort of original home and it still maintained main it remains a comforting food (laughs) george washington carver is credited with solidifying the sweet potato in black history as a staple sort of food he in the early 20th century developed 100 uses for this tuber including his own sweet potato pie recipe George Washington, the first president of the United States of America, fun fact, really into sweet meats pies. Sweet meats, right? That's what it is. Like all the organs and everything. Yeah. Yeah. He was like real into that. That was his fave. So I feel like co-opting George Washington Carver to immediately go on a tangent about George Washington is extremely problematic. But again, we're Canadian. We don't know this stuff. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you the facts I know. Uh, Okay. And now. So that's sweet potato pie. But now we're going back to apple pie for McDonald's apple pie. The goat. A pie (laughs) that is absolutely American. It is mass produced. It is bought through a drive-thru. You can stay in your car, pick it up from a window. I almost did it this morning. And it is all like less than a dollar. 
McDonald's actually uses dehydrated apple powder as well as actual apples. And this apple powder helps to soak up the liquid that cooks out of the apples during baking, as well as doubling the apple flavor. So it's a very smart baking strategy. Yeah, it's very clever because the one thing about baking apple pie is like it gets kind of like the juices sort of go out and you sometimes lose the apple flavor. I feel like I really struggle to make a good apple pie actually, which probably says a lot about me. Oh, agreed. Yeah, so it's McDonald's apple pie is hyper real. It is more apple-y than apple pie. Which is why it's so good. Also, it's fried. So delicious. Um, what are your thoughts on adding cheddar or just any cheese on top of apple pie? I'm always pro cheese in every single way. I think I would prefer it baked in because I always want my cheese like a little bit like warm and kind of like gooey. Rather than just like sweating on top. Yeah. The sweating is the problem, mm. but I would still, I would still be very pro. Yeah, I agree. I think it's fun. Mm. I like a little salt with my sweet. Oh, always. Mmm. Now I'm just trying to think of all the different kinds of pies and cheese combos that we could make. What pie would you serve with feta? Mm, like a fig? Yes, that sounds so good. That'd be very good. You could also maybe do like a plum, kind of like mm, yeah. maybe more of a tart situation. See, the debate on tart versus pie is too controversial for us to get into right oh, now. All right, sorry. <laughs> okay, so kind of moving past all that, we can just sort of talk generally about pies in their different contexts so pies at county fairs for instance is very Mm. interesting because we have two competitive sources of pies so there's pie eating contests disgusting yes which is just the world of gluttony and just totally indulging in it's it's Diving your face into wholesomeness and into... Diving your face into wholesomeness. Thank you. That is excellent. (laughs) And it's like how much... I don't know. Just competitive eating has a... It's a fascinating branch of humanity. Yes. So there's that side of the pies at fairs. And then there's also pie baking contests, which I would like to describe as competitive domesticity. Yes. Because it's basically taking all of this labor that you're supposed to get for nothing basically as the a priori american mother baking apple pie but then you're trying to win at it it's like who can be the best housewife it's interesting too because in like modern day there's so much commentary on like the thanklessness of motherhood but also on how like moms need so much reassurance on whether or not they're doing a good job. Yeah. And it seems like that was like before we could have these like honest conversations about people really struggling with that kind of identity. It was like a very tangible way to determine if you were a good mom. Yeah. People are always doing that. Like thinking just about like the mommy blogs and people who are look at my perfect family and all of the recipes that I make. Cause I guess there's not as many pie baking contests. The great British bake off. Great British bake off. Excellent. I did read an article about how to win a pie baking Ooh, contest. Fantastic. So the 10 tips are one, don't cheap out. Mm, that's Use the fair. best ingredients. Be a butter cubist. Okay. On a total side note, when you make crust, do you do half like lard, half or shortening, I suppose I should say half butter? Because I've heard that that's the best way. Is it mentioned? No, this guy is very pro butter. I'm also pro butter. See, I used to be exclusively pro-butter, but after reading all these articles about crust and, like, the chemistry behind it, I think I'm going to have to try half um, shortening and half butter next time I do it. 
I just prefer the flavor of butter. That's why they say half and half, though, because then you get the flavor of butter with the, like, flakiness that shortening renders. Hmm. So anyways. Interesting. Anyway, there's a lot of, none of these are very exciting, but it's, like, some dude. A dude who's good at pies, which is, that's fun. Also, just, like, I hate that there's a man telling us how to win at these competitive motherhood <laughs> contests. How dare you, sir? Yes. Um, okay, well, all of this is sort of say that pies are, they're a communal food. Yes. Yes. So it's definitely a food of gatherings, like funerals, weddings, birthdays, picnics. Fourth of July. Fourth of July. Oh, sorry. <laughs> they're, yeah, so they're portable, which like we were talking about before. It's, mm-hmm. it's in a crust. It's a filled thing. You can just bring it anywhere to a potluck. I keep thinking I have this like visual in my head of all these like Egyptian uh, pyramid builders whose wives made them like a little pie that they're taking because it's like a lunchbox for them because it's so cute and they're just you know going off to work and they have their little pie and walking walking into Egyptian (laughs) oh no problematic probably yeah so like pies it's it is not a food that you can eat on its own I did make a good effort of it today (laughs) yes you did pieces but but mostly yeah it gets a sharing food but it's not like a cake which is also a celebration food Pies are also very common. They're super, like, a humble. You could have it for breakfast. You could have it for lunch. You could have it for a birthday. Or you could just have it on a Tuesday. Which I like. Or a Friday morning. Or a Friday morning. (laughs) Okay. Should we go into... My, like, last section here is just about, like, weird pies. Which is very specifically talking mostly about, like, this mock apple pie that I made. As well as some other sort of, like, Depression-era pie styles all right so we'll start with mock apple pie which as mentioned earlier is made with ritz crackers it is just a pie shell filled with a combination of lemon and sugar syrup with cinnamon and like ritz crackers you like cook them so they get soft and And then put them in a pie shell so gross but it sounds so good yeah so ritz was uh, first manufactured in 1934 which was basically the peak of depression when apples and lots of other ingredients were hard to come by. Wait, that's when the company started? Ritz was in 1934. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so for years, like up until the 70s, I think they had this recipe on the back of the Ritz box, which is why I ended up making it. Because my dad was like, oh, you have to make this pie. That's so interesting that they like liked this recipe so much. I felt like this should be a dirty secret. No, everyone was obsessed with this recipe. It is a prime. Yeah. Prime pie. Prime pie. The also, are, are prime numbers, like, is pi a prime number? That's not a thing. Never mind, ignore me. I was like, oh, three. three. No, 3.14. Well, okay, whatever. I'm f- actually surprised that that's the first mention of pi in math. Because pi is fun. It is fun. It's a fun number. So this Ritz cracker pie, mock apple pie, is not actually the first instance of using crackers. There's also soda cracker pie, which is... I love soda crackers. Yeah, they're delicious. But do you want them crushed up with pecans and folded into a meringue and baked. Yes. I think it sounds horrifying. That sounds amazing. I'm definitely down to try that. Okay, well, that's soda cracker pie. There's also some other, what they call desperation pies. So chess pie, mm-hmm. which I've heard a lot of different explanations for the uh, etymology behind. Mm-hmm. I read one that said it was like for cheese because originally it would have like cheese and it was almost more like a cheese cake. But then there's also people who are like, oh, it's just pie. It's just pie. Huh. 
So I don't know, but it's basically, you can make it with just four ingredients, flour, butter, sugar, eggs, and it's like custardy and kind of good. I love any kind of recipe where there's limited ingredients. It's kind of nice. You can just like whip it up with anything, which makes sense for being a depression era Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, There's also vinegar pie, which is a twist on lemon meringue, but instead of lemon, you use vinegar. I think I would actually really enjoy that. I would be interested in trying this. I think it would be horrible. I don't even really love lemon meringue pie on its own because I don't really like that kind of meringue, but I do love lemon. I'm a very textural person. Mm. I do love lemon, and I feel like vinegar wouldn't quite live up. No, it definitely wouldn't, but I'd be interested in trying. I mean, mock apple pie turned out pretty well, so... I would say very well. Solid 10 out of 10 on Rika's <laughs> baking here, guys. You did say that it was the best thing I've ever made, which I'm not sure if I should be offended by. I stand by that <laughs> statement. Okay. Uh, also, okay, the savory side, we've got oyster pie. Oh, yes. Which, from the sort of, like, recipes, apparently it's a southern classic. I don't know. It's basically sounds like lots of weird shit chowder, like oyster chowder in a pie crust. It's like chicken pot pie, but with fish. I love it. All right. You should make it. I'm going to, actually. I won't eat it. I know you won't. I also want to somehow find a lamprey eel so that I can make an eel pie. Good. There should be more. There should be fewer lampreys in the world. There should be fewer lampreys. Bake them into pies. During the Our mission. Uh, That's pretty much all I have. Just, yeah, pies. They're delicious. The humble pie. The humble pie. Indeed. What a great saying as well. I, I think it's just really interesting that, you know, such a simple food that started really just as a very, like, tangible expression of ease. Like, that sounds yeah. so stupid. No, but I think that, that it's maintained that same use where mm. it's, you're taking just kind of whatever ingredients you have around and adding, like, sugar or spices and just, like, baking them in pastry, which is delicious because who doesn't love a carb? Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's that for pie. Yeah, super exciting. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.